We're going to uh, look at Acts 20 and 21 this morning. Uh, I want to take you through a map of Paul's entire third missionary journey. Uh, and we'll just sort of, we're kind of going to just speed through all these different things that happens. And I, I want to get to the end. And, and when we get to the end of it, um, I want to pose a question to you that I've asked like a dozen people this week. And I think it's kind of an interesting question to wrestle through. So that's where we're going. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Patty Buss shared uh, already from Paul's third missionary journey and totally rocked it, by the way. Wasn't that a, such a great word? <laughs> totally rocked it. I was gone, but I listened to the podcast and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so good. So uh, it, it happened in Ephesus. So let's pull up that map, uh, Ariah, and we're going to be, begin here. Um, as always, Paul's missionary journeys have started in the city of Antioch, and uh, this time it begins in Acts chapter uh, 19 here, and Paul travels throughout all these different places that he's been before, all throughout uh, modern-day Turkey, and he comes to the city of Ephesus. Now, as Patty taught on, uh, this was a really intense and uh, amazing time that Paul had in Ephesus. Most of the time when he's going to these places, he's not there for all that long. He's there for a matter of weeks or, or sometimes months. He's in Ephesus for three years. And incredible stuff happens. Like, you know, he, he, he gets there and all these people get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he begins preaching daily. There's something called the School of Tyrannus. I don't even know what that is. Um, it's probably a dinosaur thing or something. Um, it's something, he's every day he's going and speaking at this probably a, a public lecture hall. And he might have done that for like hours a day. And this was a, a huge, uh, you know, metropolitan port city. So you have people from all over the world coming likely and listening to his, uh, his sermons and talking about Christ and, and, uh, and talking about his own story. And left and right, amazing things start happening. We see people being saved. We see a spiritual explosion. We see uh, uh, these really strange encounters with the supernatural and people realizing, oh my goodness, this Holy Spirit is more powerful than anything we see here. Paul was there for three years. And talk about a spiritual high point, right? This is uh, like everyone in Asia, in that region of Asia, heard the gospel because of this. Can you imagine that? And it's interesting, too, because he had wanted to go there on his first missionary journey, and the Lord said no. Remember that? Uh, actually, I think it was the second. Excuse me. But, um, but here he goes, and then you see the fruit of this ministry. So I love that the way this passage ends. It says, and the Spirit of God was triumphing mightily. Isn't that a great phrase? The Spirit of God was triumphing mightily. So Paul's planning his next move when he's in uh, Ephesus. And uh, let's pick it up in, in verse 21. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now, these two places seem to be quite important to Paul, Jerusalem and Rome. He's got these two cities, and he feels drawn to both of them. For, for different reasons. Like Jerusalem, that had been Paul's home. He had lived there. He had studied under the great rabbi Gamaliel. That had been the center 
of, uh, of power for, for Pharisees and for religious leaders uh, in the, for the Jewish religion. So Paul naturally had spent, he wasn't born there, he was, he was born in Tarsus, but he had lived there for quite a long time. He knew a ton of people, most of them hated him <laughs> in that city now, but he, he had all kinds of, of attachments there. And he had actually had a really, he hadn't been there since the Jerusalem conference, but he had had some really rough times there. He, you know, they tried to kill him and he fled. And since then, as Paul's continued to go all throughout the known world and all these Gentiles are, are meeting Jesus and Paul continues to welcome them into the kingdom, that has uh, not gone over super well in Jerusalem. So Paul is not the celebrated figure that he is in all these other places he's going to. In fact, he's, you know, they probably have wanted posters up. But he wants to go. He wants to go to Jerusalem. So that's one place. And then the other one is Rome. He had never been to the city of Rome, but uh, he wanted to. He was always daydreaming about it. And it wasn't for tourist purposes, you know? He didn't, he didn't want to... He, he didn't want to, you know, go visit the Colosseum. He wanted to go because that was the center of power in, in, in all the, the, the known worlds. And he's called to, to, to speak about the kingdom of God. And so shouldn't he go to the heart of this earthly kingdom and speak that Jesus is Lord? He desperately wants to go. And he's already thinking about, he's already kind of daydreaming about this when he's still in Ephesus. Now, this idea, these two cities, and this, oh, this longing to go to these places, it sort of haunts him for this entire missionary journey. So let's go back to, to that second map here. Paul, uh, he gets run out of town after the riot in Ephesus, and he ends up going up to the city of Troas. Now, in Troas, he, he, he gets a new posse. He gets, you know, sometimes he's traveled with Barnabas, sometimes with Silas. He's got some great people. I know we have some babies that are are about to come, and I just want to submit a few names. Uh, there's one called Sopater. Sopater, it's a good name. Uh, Aristarchus, that is, that's a power name right there, Aristarchus. Uh, Abby, just be thinking. Um, uh, Secondus, so if you have one kid and the next one, Secondus could be a great name. <laughs> Gaius, Timothy, there's one familiar. Tychicus, Tychicus, that's a good one right there. And Trophimus. So if you have a kid who you think has real potential in sports, it could be a good one. That's the only reason I stopped is so I could make those comments right there. That's the only reason. Thank you very much. Let's pray. All right, let's go back to the map. He continues to go. He crosses, he crosses the sea and he goes over into Macedonia. That's where he had been. Uh, Philippi, a lot of places up there. And he ends up jumping on a ship going down the coastline. Uh, all the way past Athens and into Corinth. Corinth. Now he stays in Corinth a few months, and I, I wonder if he thought about boarding a ship. You know why? Because you guys, look. Let's go to that next one. Look. Whoop. There we go. Check this out. Rome. It's within his sights. Like he's in Corinth. He could jump on a ship head over to Italy, make it to Rome. I wonder if he was just salivating, like, oh. But he doesn't go. And here's what he, you know what he does instead? He does the next best thing. He sends them a postcard. He sends the Romans a postcard. It's, it was a really long postcard. 
<laughs> but it was, it's the book of Romans. He wrote the book of Romans and he sent it to the church when he was in Corinth. I think it was like a stopgap. And one of the things he tells them right at the very beginning of the book is to me interesting. You can see where his, his head was at. This is in Romans 1.13, just to give you this idea. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but that have thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the fools. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Oh, I want to come, you guys. I really do. I've been prevented so far. We don't know what that looked like, being prevented. I wonder, I'm always wondering these things. What, what is he talking about, being prevented? Like, did he try to board a ship and not have the right papers? Did he not have enough money for passage to Rome? Uh, did people, you know, was he being threatened? Or maybe it was as simple as God said, no. I don't know. But he wants to go. He desperately wants to go. It's very much on his mind. He's prevented, so he decides, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get on a ship, and I'm going to go home, and then I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Simple as that, okay? That's a pretty good plan until he finds out that somebody's trying to kill him on the boat. Well, that's a bummer. So he decides not to get on a boat. That's a pretty smart thing. If you know that someone's trying to kill you on a ship, it's kind of confined space. Lots of movies about that sort of thing. Um, he decides to, to go north instead, and he walks. So here's where he walks. He goes on foot a long way. Um, you want to go back to that next one? I think it's number five. He goes north, up through Philippi, and across to Troas. Still thinking. Jerusalem, Rome. Jerusalem, Rome. At least when he's in Troas, I'll just tell this one, we won't read this, but something interesting happens when he's in Troas. He's preaching late into the night. And there's this young man who's listening. Now, Paul tells us himself that he's unimpressive in person. And you might think that he's just being like humble. Oh, that's Paul. He's just downplaying it. But I don't know because he talked for so long and he was so boring that this young man fell asleep. He was sitting in the windowsill, fell out of the window and died. Like, <laughs> Paul was talking past midnight. I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but... Regardless, he runs down, everyone, of course, is freaking out, runs down, picks the kid up, embraces him, and, 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 and he comes back to life. <laughs> There's a scare for you, but also kind of a high point. Like, goodness, like this kid just got raised from the dead. You see, Paul's going all these places and seeing these profound spiritual victories, these incredible things that are happening. So he keeps on going. Let's go to that next map. He, he comes down, and he, this time he wants to go back to Ephesus, but he's kind of been kicked out, and there was a big riot, so he can't go there. He goes to a nearby Miletus, and he calls the church leaders from Ephesus, who he, he has worked with for the past three years. He calls them over, and they meet at this little pub right on the, right on the bay, and they talk. <laughs> Paul gives them, he gives them sort of a closing sermon. And this, interesting it's the first time in the scriptures that we see a sermon or any kind of charge given to a, a, a completely Christian audience. 
All the rest of the time, it's been, it's been a secular audience or it's been mixed or whatever. But these are all workers in the church. And Paul gives them a very, um, well, he gives them a sobering message, okay? Here it is, Acts 20, verse 22. He says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in me and every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Whew. He's telling them goodbye forever, guys. Like, and they're like, what? That's not the way it's supposed to work. But he does. He says goodbye. He charges them. He says, give to these people. Give yourselves to these saints. And I'll see you on the other side. And his mind, his mind is made up. This is what, this is what I'm going to do. Jerusalem, then Rome, baby. That's it. See you guys. Paul out. Eventually he gets on a boat and he crosses the Mediterranean and he comes all the way back uh, to the east coast there. Let's go, let's go to that next map, number seven. He keeps going south and he lands in the city of Tyre. Are you still with me? I know we've gone a lot of places today, haven't we? He ends up in Tyre. Now, Here's where it gets really interesting to me. Verse, Acts 21, verse 4, okay? Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there, because uh, uh, Luke, the author, is with them now. We stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they, the disciples, were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So here's the disciples, and Luke is generally using that term for like the 12, okay? These are the big dudes. These are the head honchos, and they're saying, he says, through the Spirit, do not go to Jerusalem, Paul. Do not go. Because he's telling them the same thing he told the other guys. This is my plan. Don't do it, Paul. Don't do it. But he says, sorry, guys. This is what's going to happen. Next map. He gets back on the boat, and he goes further eventually to Caesarea, where he stays with Philip the Evangelist. Remember Philip, he was the one who preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. He goes there with Philip, and, uh, and he stays there with Philip and his, his four uh, prophetess daughters, and there's a, a man of God named Agabus that comes down. He's a prophet. And let's go Acts 21.11. Here's what happens. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, Paul, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And of course, Paul hears all this and he thinks about it. It's like, that is quite a word, Agabus. Wow. Verse, verse 13. And Paul answered saying, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. He's going to Jerusalem 
you're not going to talk him out of it. He will indeed be arrested and handed over to the Gentiles in a short time. And the fact is, he's never really free again after this. So here's my big question. That's Paul's third missionary journey, okay? There's a lot that happens, isn't there? Here's my big question. And be careful, don't answer so quickly. Did Paul, did Paul make a mistake? Did he blow it? I've really been wrestling with this. Because it appears, the way that Luke writes it, it appears, I mean, if you take it just sort of straight, the way it's written, it's like these people, the disciples were saying through the Spirit, don't go, Paul. And this man giving a prophetic word, which actually came true, is saying, here's what's going to happen if you go, Paul. And they're saying, Paul, don't do it. Please don't do it. And he's going, guys, I'm going to do it. Now, in my head, here's what's going on. I'm thinking, okay, like, that might sound like a heretical type of question. But the fact is, when you read the scriptures, sometimes there's not like a commentary on every decision a person made, you know? Like, it doesn't always say, and this was good in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes it does, but a lot of times it's just telling you what happened. You see a lot of times where men of God really messed up. You see a lot of times people did stuff and we just sort of assume, oh, that must have been God. You know, an example of that is Nehemiah. Nehemiah did some awesome things like building the wall. Nehemiah also really messed up really messed up. He, he turned out orphans and widows. He made them leave, and he just left them destitute. Like, that's not on the heart of God. But it's easy to look over that and go, well, it must have been God. No, not necessarily. Sometimes he just did a thing, and the scripture isn't actually giving us a commentary on that. So here's one example of that. Like, this isn't a sin thing, but it's like, did Paul make the right decision? Because Paul goes to great lengths to tell us that he is fallible, doesn't he? Here's why I ask, because I sometimes wonder, like, okay, on the, on the no side, like, you think, okay, look, look at what Paul was able to do. Like, he, he did end up going to Rome. He, he, he did end up uh, uh, preaching to the household of Caesar. He, he did end up uh, writing books like Philippians and Philemons and Colossians, Ephesians, both letters to Timothy and the letter to Titus. All of those happened after this. But then, then you think of what could have been. Here's what could have been. Imagine opening your Bible to Acts chapter 31, where Paul visits India, where he teams up with Thomas. Imagine him standing at the Ganges River, thousands of people, and proclaiming the goodness of God, and them all being baptized right there in the Ganges River. Or Acts chapter 33, that's a good one. He goes to Spain, he walks through the country, he, walk, he preaches all the way, he gets to Portugal, he comes to the Atlantic Ocean and proclaims blessing on all the lands and prophesies the goodness of God to come. Or, or, Acts 37, that's a good one too. He goes down to Ethiopia, he meets the eunuch who had been saved in Philip's ministry and he stands before the queen, Queen Candace, and he explains the gospel to her. And she shakes her head and said, all this time my servant has been right. What must I do to be saved? But my favorite is Acts chapter 40. When Paul walks into Rome, a free man, 
Imagine that. He walks into Rome, into the Colosseum, and Nero is throwing Christians to the lions. And Paul, with a great loud voice, says, Stop, you son of the devil! And everyone gets quiet. And thousands of people meet Jesus. And then those lions are now tame and become Paul's guardian companions through the rest of his ministry. Like, there's so much that could have happened. You know what I'm saying? There's so much. Those aren't in the Bible, by the way. Please, here. Imagination. Okay. We don't get any of that. You know what happens? Paul gets arrested. He does indeed get handed over to Rome. And there's more great stuff that happens. But again, he's, he's either in prison or under house arrest or uh, 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 he's, he's in custody the entire time. So did he make a mistake? Patty said something uh, in her sermon that I just keep coming back to. And it was so good. Uh, She said this. uh, First, we're, we're always talking about becoming the best versions of ourselves. And I hear that all the time. And I'm like, yeah, that's so true. Like, we're always thinking about that. Like, I get really tired of the phrase, actually. What is the best version of ourselves? That's probably the one that has no hangups, you know? The one that's living his best life. The the one where you feel most emotional fulfillment. The one where you're 20 pounds lighter. You have no trouble getting up out of bed in the morning. Where you, you have no toxic people in your life. Where you have a happy vocation doing meaningful work where your family is close and your marriage is healthy and you're dating your spouse every week. Guys, those are all good things, aren't they? But those visions end up being all about us, don't they? The best versions of ourselves. We become the center of our own daydreams. Patty said, we're always talking about the best version of ourselves, but the best version of ourselves is the one where we're submitted to the will of God. Oh, you guys, that just cut me. It's so true. We become obsessed today with self-actualization, authenticity, originality. The New Testament, you guys, is much more, much more impressed and interested with imitating Jesus. I love originality. I love authenticity. I talk about these things all the time. And sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh. The New Testament isn't as interested in that as I am. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, that's great. Okay, fine. Be yourself. Learn all about yourself. Take all the personality profiles. I love those things. Be a, you know, a, a choleric lion with a six wing and a, you know, a D-I-S-P and a... Um, you know, a strength of ideation. All of those things do that. That's great. That's, that's great. But we can become a little obsessed with those things and getting so introspective that we're no longer even analyzing if we are being faithful to the Lord. We're called to imitate him, not to just be weird. Like, he's so obsessed with who we are and, and becoming this person, the best version of ourselves. And... I bring this up, I bring this up because as I, as I think about this, as I think about this whole story, I, I'm not very much like Paul in a lot of ways, you know? Like, my ambition, I, I have my own ambitions that, that I get caught up in. I get caught up in like, you know, my ambition to write 
Oh, I haven't written in a long time. Oh, I've only, only have one book. You know, I, what, what kind of writer do I want to be? You know, what kind of speaker? Uh, all of these things. I, what do I want to? How do I want to be remembered? How do I want to be admired? And I get so caught up in that kind of stuff sometimes that I stop asking the question, how do I be faithful to Jesus Christ? How do I be faithful? How do I be submitted to him so that I'm imitating him? And guys, that shows up in my views about Paul, even this story. Because all of the little things I'm thinking about and dreaming for Paul that he could have done, I'm doing the exact same thing for him, aren't I? As I would for myself. I'm saying, Paul, this is not the best version of yourself. You could have done so much more. You could have padded your resume, Paul. You could have had more books, Paul. You could have been even more awesome. And that's not how Paul looked at it. Here's Agabus tying himself up in the presence of Paul, saying, Paul, they're going to arrest you. They're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. And I think Paul heard that and thought, okay, cool, perfect. That's just confirmation. (laughs) Perfect. Let's do it. You know why? Because if Paul is arrested and handed over to the Gentiles, that means he's handed over to the Roman authorities and Paul's a Roman citizen. So you know what he can do? He can just go ahead and appeal to Caesar and go to Rome. (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. Perfect. That's what I can do. Going to Rome. Right then. Guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I've already decided. And people are crying. Paul, please don't go. Don't you see what's going to happen? Please. And he's like rolling his eyes. Saying, dudes, this is not about me. (laughs) Like, I love you guys. Thank you for your concern. I I really appreciate it. I really know you care about me and are concerned. And I, I am so honored. But I am not scared. If I get arrested again, great. If I die, I don't care. I'm going to be faithful to the call that God gave me. No matter what. And he would have maybe repeated once more what he told the elders in Ephesus. He said, the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. That means everywhere he goes. Guys, you think this is something new? Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit's warning me of afflictions and persecution. Like, that's par for the course, literally. I go into a city, and I hear the Lord say, Paul, persecution might be right here around the corner. Prepare yourself. And so what are you even telling me right now? So what? It's going to happen in Jerusalem too? Fine. Isn't that something? And he goes on. He says, I, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words... The Holy Spirit is always warning me about persecution. Don't be so worked up. I've experienced it all. I've been tortured. I've been beaten and stoned. And and I do it because it's all part of the ministry I received from Jesus. And he really did. Way back in the beginning, he received the call from Jesus. And it was very, very clear that this is what he would put up with. It was when Ananias first Uh, came to meet him. And the Lord said, this is Acts 9, the Lord said, go for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I will show him. Can we get uh, the communion elements passed around? We're gonna take communion at the end here. I will show him how much he must suffer. Did you get that? Paul has a clear mandate. 
He's going he's to preach to his people. He's going to preach primarily to the Gentiles, and he's going to preach before kings. Do you know the only thing that hadn't happened yet? Preaching before kings. He had done all of these things. That was his mission. And that became a rudder for his entire ministry. Can I get one of those? Uh, for his entire ministry, I think that became a central, that became a, a, a central piece. That This is what he's aiming at. So I'm feeling like I need to go, but these other people are feeling like they need to stay. Both of us feel that God is speaking. But here's the thing. God spoke to me a long time ago, very, very clearly, to walk straight in. To walk in if it means suffering, to walk if it means death, to not care about that. To move forward and to speak before all of these people and one day to speak before kings. So if I needed to get arrested, and that's fine because I'll just appeal to Caesar and finally I'll be able to speak before the king. I'll probably die, but that's okay. Did Paul make a mistake? No, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I think if he had, then God would have certainly covered for him and provided fruit anyway, because that's what he does. He's that good. But I believe Paul was just being faithful. I think he did exactly what God had planned for him all along. He's not concerned about being as true, being true to himself or being the best version of himself. His concern is about being faithful to the king. And here's my question for you. Where is your concern? Is it to build the best version of yourself, to optimize your routines, your relationships, to be more awesome, to build your stats and your legacy? Is that where you are? That's where I can be sometimes. Or is it to be faithful to your king? I want to take communion this morning and to think of it this way. When people gathered in the early church, they gathered and often talked about this as a, as a renewal of the covenant. Or every time they came together, they were reminding each other and they were acting out almost like a renewal of their baptism. Where they promised, yes, I will go under, I will die with you so that I can live with you, Jesus. That's what I will do. And when they took the bread and the wine, it was renewing that thing to say, I, Lord, am surrendered to you, you who died for me, and I will enter into your death and your resurrection. In other words, I surrender. This bread and this, this wine says, I surrender. So Jesus, we just come and do that again this morning. Just say, I surrender again. We thank you for the covenant that you have given. We thank you for the cup of the new covenant. And we say, yes, we surrender. Let's take it now. We thank you that you did not withhold your body or your blood from us. We thank you that you spilled your life 
so that we could indeed enter into this covenant. And we just renew that now and say, yes, Jesus, we surrender. We surrender. We say yes. Let's take it together.